Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. And if you run a healthcare organization or clinic and you want a framework for developing and implementing patient acquisition and engagement strategies to increase not only just the total number of visits that you see in your clinic per month, but to also improve patient engagement and satisfaction levels and reduce the opportunity costs that we all experience from no-shows and cancellations, I invite you to go check out the Ultimate Patient Experience Blueprint. You can find that at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com U-P-E. That's rehab, the letter U, practicesolutions.com slash U-P-E for the Ultimate Patient Experience Blueprint. All right, what do we have on the docket today? This week, we are taking a dive back into the world of treating patients and clients with chronic and persistent musculoskeletal, if I could speak here, musculoskeletal pain. Um, My guest this week, who I'm having a conversation with, is uh, Dave Candy, who's a physical therapist out of St. Louis. And we connected over... LinkedIn or Facebook or, or something like that several several months ago, and we've been back and forth just having a conversation between the two of us. He owns a clinic. I own a clinic as well. Um, just about treating patients in pain. We both kind of have carved out that little specialization for our clinics, and we figured it would be worthwhile to have a conversation about the actual boots-on-the-ground implementation of intervention techniques and treatment techniques for those folks that might come into the clinic with some kind of persistent or nonspecific chronic musculoskeletal pain. Um, I know we've had Bronnie Thompson on the show recently, probably, well, not recently, way back in the archives, talking about the biopsychosocial approach. And we've had um, some the, the two folks from Aspire OT talking a little bit, again, about taking a biopsychosocial approach to, to address chronic pain. But we wanted to have a conversation more in line for boots on the ground strategies and techniques like, okay, now that you understand a biopsychosocial approach or now that we've, you've read about it, you've researched it, you understand that it's important to take a, a holistic view at these, at these patients that have chronic musculoskeletal pain, what do you actually do in a treatment session? How do you actually implement some of these things? Because there's plenty of techniques and strategies and intervention types out there. It's just hard to understand how you actually go about implementing them in the day-to-day running of a clinic and treating those those patients that are right in front of you right now with chronic back pain or chronic shoulder pain or, or whatever the, the diagnosis happens to be. So uh, Dave was, was gracious enough to come on the show and have a conversation really about what he does and what he has found uh, has worked for him in his practice and his clinic. And, and we kind of go back and forth about some of our 
some of our understanding about treating folks in chronic pain and implementing things like neuroscience, pain education, and, and the like. So hopefully, if you're in the world of musculoskeletal rehabilitation or musculoskeletal pain and pain management, um, some of these, some of what we talked about here is, is something that hopefully you can take and implement right away with, with patients and clients that you've got in the clinic. So without further ado, here's uh, Dave Candy from St. Louis um, talking specifically about practical strategies for treating patients with chronic and persistent musculoskeletal pain. Well, hey, Dave, how are you? Doing great. Thanks, Rafi. Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about treating patients in pain and kind of what you found has worked in the clinic. And uh, before we dive into that, just give us a little background of who you are, your, your clinical experience, and then what you're doing now with your clinic. Okay. I'm Dave Candy. I'm the owner of More for Life in St. Louis, Missouri. And we focus primarily on helping women age 40 plus who are de dealing with chronic nagging aches and pains that haven't gotten better. You know, most of the people that I see, they've been in pain for a while. They've tried other things, gone to doctors, other physical therapists, chiropractors, massage medications, the like. Some of them have had, have had prior surgery. And you know, still they're kind of looking for solutions and aren't kind of fully fulfilled in you know, what they've gotten so far. So we try to find innovative new ways to, to help people you know, explore their pain and ultimately get over it and get back to doing the things they want to be able to do. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So uh, I guess first thing, like, let's just say somebody's coming in in pain, as far as you said, and this is interesting, most of the folks that we talk to that are treating patient pain say, say something along the lines of they've tried something else before. <laughs> It hasn't worked. And now they show up at our doorstep. <laughs> so these patients that are coming and seeing us or seeing you in pain, like, do you find that they have maybe lowered expectations of what you're able to do for them? Like maybe they're coming like hesitant a little bit, or do you, do you find that a lot of them are like jazzed up? They, they're very hopeful about what you can do to, um, to help them and help them overcome their pain. No, I'd say for, for new clients who's, who I've never seen before, um, skeptical is the norm that uh, they've been let down a couple of times and you know, they're nervous about getting it wrong one more time or getting their hopes up just to get let down again. And a lot of times it's easier just to accept that this is the way it's going to be. There's, there's no help for me. There's no hope for me. I'm just going to have to live in pain for the rest of my life rather than get hopeful and then you know just have it kind of crash down again. Um, so, so that is really a, a pretty common thing that I see coming in. Yeah. And how do you think that affects like what they're willing to disclose or not willing to disclose like in an in initial evaluation when it comes to like their goals or, or even how much pain they're actually having? <laughs> yeah, I think it depends to some extent how much prior conversation we've had prior to that initial evaluation. You know, sometimes we'll have talked on the phone previously had discussions, you know, maybe sometimes 20, 30 minutes to help them even decide if coming in is the right fit or if we're the right fit for them. Um, if it's someone who's just spoken to like my office staff and I've never talked to them, um, depending on how open of a conversation that they've had before, uh, people come in with varying levels of readiness, but there are often things that I'll find out throughout the course of the eval that um, initially, they may be a little bit more guarded, just, uh, yeah, my back's been hurting for a long period of time. And the more you build a rapport with that person, both 
through the evaluation as well as through the clinical course of care, you start finding things out in their personal life. And sometimes those aren't small or insignificant things. Sometimes those things that are going on in their personal life actually do affect their pain. Yeah, no, yeah. It's like treating folks that we always had folks at the VA that were chronic pain, you know, undiagnosed, you have shoulder pain, we don't know why, or back pain, you don't know why. And they would have like a, a PTSD flashback or something else. And they would like nothing physically happened to them or changed them, but they're experiencing an elevated level of pain. Or right? I remember a patient that had chronic shoulder pain who was going through a divorce. And every time he met with his soon to be ex-wife, like he would come in the next day and be like, pain's a 10 out of 10 today, <laughs> you know, like, because he had other things going on in his life that were affecting his, his pain um, experience, which is like, it's pretty incredible to think about that kind of stuff. Like it's not a physiological thing or pathophysiological thing. Like it's a psychosocial factor that's affecting their pain, right? Yeah. And sometimes there's a very clear link and people can say, oh yeah, when I get anxious um, and, and my pain starts getting worse, or when I do this certain activity or think about this certain thing, my, my pain gets worse. Other times people are really pretty unaware of it. And it seems almost daunting. Like, oh, my pain just comes and goes one day. It's better one day. It's worse. I really don't have any rhyme or reason for it. And that makes someone kind of feel out of control when they don't understand it. When it just seems like the pain has a mind of its own and it comes and goes. And usually there's a pattern. Sometimes it's a pattern like that. Like, you know, you, you have a conversation with your ex-wife or you drive past an intersection where you previously had a car accident or something like that, that triggers a, a past or a remote memory. Um, and it, it triggers your pain. But if you're just thinking, well, I didn't, I didn't go for a run today, or I didn't do more housework than I normally did today, or, you know, I didn't do any more exercise or activity. I didn't get any less sleep than I normally did. Um, it, it seems like, well, I'm just doing exactly the same thing, but the circumstances, the environment around um, those same activities, the context, the context of those same activities happen in is different. And that can affect the way that people have pain. And it's not that it's just all in their head. It actually is real. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that can never be understated, especially to patients in pain. Like your pain is real. <laughs> We're going to validate that experience, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most important things for someone who's been in chronic pain that most of them have been either overtly told or implied that you're making it up. It's probably not as bad as it is. Are you sure you're not just doing this for attention or just flat out saying it's all in your head, you're crazy, um, which some people sadly do hear from family members or even doctors. Yeah, it's so unjust when that happens. I do want to back up though. You mentioned something that was interesting to me being the uh, lead generation and, and sales aspect piece of the, the private practice. So you said you'll have conversations with folks several times before they even book an initial evaluation. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times when people, you know, come into their world, they may, you know, just ask for some information or we put a lot of free content out on social media and people will, you know, put in their email or phone number in exchange for um, some piece of information that's a value to them. And then, 
know, sometimes when we contact people, they're just not ready. They're just maybe looking for some information or you know, maybe they just don't trust us enough yet because they have been let down by so many other people. And they're just kind of in the stage of saying, okay, what's my next move? What's my next decision? Um, I really don't want to get involved in anything quite yet. And if that's where people are, that's absolutely fine. You know, we're not here to, to sell ice to an Eskimo. It's yeah. when, when someone has a problem, if we can help them out with it and they're ready to get help, then uh, we're happy to uh, uh, make sure it's the right fit for them and have them come in and check it out and find out if it actually is. Yeah, it's a totally different way of doing like business development for a private clinic, right? Like I've, I've noticed that too in the clinic that we run that the, the sales cycle, if that's what you're going to call it, gets, gets longer with patients in chronic pain but super, super short with patients that have an acute injury, right? Like we had a guy last month who was, he's a weightlifter. He was bench pressing, heard a pop in his shoulder. It was in a lot of pain. He booked with us like the next hour, right? Like he was driving home and, and texted us and got on, on the schedule. And then we've had some folks that have been, had pain for years and years and years, and they'll, they might, you know, sign something on the website or, you know, sign up for a list in January and it's March before they're actually in the, in the clinic. So it is interesting. And probably part of it is that what you said, like they have to build that, that trust in you before they're willing to make that step because they've probably been let down by several clinicians before. Right. And there is a big difference in, in acute pain and chronic pain, just to begin with it. Yeah. You know, you, you hear a pop in your shoulder when you're lifting weights and all of a sudden you have this sharp pain, there probably is some chemical inflammation. There might be some tissues that are actually damaged and, you know, the pain's pretty intense and, you know, you heard this pop and you think, wow, something's wrong. I need to do something about this right away. You know, after you've kind of come to terms with, okay, this isn't going to kill me it's aching. The, the acute pain that I once had has gone away. Um, I could live with this, but I really don't want to have to live with it. Um, that sense of urgency kind of goes away that I've been dealing with this for six months or five years or 10 years. What's another week? What's another month? Uh, let me not just get my hopes up and jump into one more thing and waste more time and money. You know, let me do my due diligence and make sure I'm actually making the right choice for the, the long term. Yeah, we, we always talk about it and think about it. And I'll tell my staff about this too. Like they're going to go, these prospects or these patients that are going to be patients at some point in time have to go through a cycle of like a, maybe it's even a, re, a learning cycle where they're kind of digging about you and reading about you and seeing what you have to say or your philosophy of care, especially when it comes to treating people in chronic pain. I think the, the number one article on our website at the clinic is about uh, the biopsycho, of taking a biopsychosocial approach, right? I think most people click there first or our pain page because that's what it seems like most of them want to read about and know about before they even think about setting an appointment with us, right? Yeah, and that's interesting that you mentioned that, that biopsychosocial because that was one of the very first you know, web pages that I had set up and it's still one of the most frequently visited one is that the mind and body are absolutely related. And for someone who might be listening to this that isn't familiar with biopsychosocial, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's the way that your, your anatomy is, your body, the way your mind is, and the way it affects your roles in society. And all of those things play into the experience that someone has when they're going through pain. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people like the, again, just like your pain is always real 
these other factors are always real, right? There's these, the, the emotional side, the, the social and environmental context, and they're all kind of playing together. And it's hard to say like, this is happening over here. So we know for a fact it's going to affect it. We just have no idea how, right? So it is interesting, like patients come in, even if they have the same exact diagnosis, the same exact ideology sometimes, and they're having widely different outcomes or experiences because everybody is uniquely different. So especially with patients with chronic pain, it's one of those things that's like, um, it's part of what makes the job of, of treating and serving patients in pain. So I hate saying the word fun because you don't like, obviously this person's in pain and that's terrible, but it keeps it, it's a challenge for sure, but in a very good way as a clinician, like if you want to be at the top of your game, I always tell people like go into, into an, a clinic or an organization where you're going to be treating people in chronic pain, because it is going to challenge you as a clinician, both in your clinical reasoning and then like just your emotional intelligence, your ability to connect with people and understand their current situation and context, right? I think that's really exactly how I got into this sort of field is that right out after school, you know, you do the things you learn in school and you treat two people with an ankle sprain and, you know, maybe four get better and, and one doesn't. And you wonder, well, why did this treatment work so well for those four? But that one person, it, it just didn't work at all for. And then you start finding out that there are other factors besides just, okay, they had an ankle sprain, they rolled their ankle stepping off a curb, but you know, maybe they had had some past experience. Maybe they had a family member or a friend who had done a similar problem. You know, maybe it impacted their ability to play in a championship game, or maybe it impacted their ability to go on vacation with their grandkids. And it, it somehow affected their life in some way that was more meaningful than just, oh, I rolled my ankle, it hurt, and then it got better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said about the, lo the long-termness of it all, right? Mm -hmm. just, especially with, with the folks that I see that have been, I think probably, you know, we see maybe 50, it's a 50, 50 split for us in our clinic, as far as who's coming in for acute and who's coming in for, for pain that's chronic. Um, but the people that have experienced chronic pain, a lot of times have been, it's chronic for almost decades, right? It's not like they, these people that come in aren't like, Oh, I've had pain for a year. It's like, I've had pain for 10 years or 15 years or, or whatever, an injury back when I was in high school and my, my bum knee that never got any better. And now it's really killing me. Um, and part, part of that probably goes back to what you said earlier, like it, the sense of urgency goes down and maybe that like one to three years is where they're kind of like, oh, I'm just going to keep doing what I need to do and see if it gets better or doesn't get better or whatever. And it is interesting to see, you know, once, you know, most of the people again, that I see are age 40 plus 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And when you start getting into like the longer term history, a lot of times the people that I'm seeing for degenerative disc disease in their 60s or 70s, you trace it back long enough and you know maybe they had a herniated disc or a back surgery in their 20s or 30s. And you know, now that disc that never really completely fully healed, even though it completely stopped hurting, um, has now become shorter. And now you're, they're starting to have a fully different problem with that same area. Yeah. No, it's, you're talking about discs and all this kind of stuff, which kind of talks about the bio, biology, the pathophysiology. Where do you sit on the idea of, you know, in the pain space, it seems like there's, there's two pendulums, right? There's people that are like, there's always something going on in the tissues. You have something out of place. We got to find it. And then in the pain science space, you'll see people that are at the way opposite end. They're like, 
it's never anything. Pain is always a, you know, a protective mechanism of the brain. And just because you have a herniated disc doesn't mean that's causing you pain. Like, where do you sit on that dichotomy? Are you, are you feeling it more in the middle or do you kind of go to one side or the other? Like, no, I I'd say I'm pretty squarely in the middle of that. Like I, I'm fully aware and that you, know, you can have pain without any tissue damage. You can also have tissue damage without any pain at all, yeah. but you can be somewhere in the middle where you've got a sensitized nervous system and it starts making, you know, so to speak, the alarm system a little bit more sensitive to things that might normally trigger it, but at a much smaller level. So you know, a small little uh, irritation or strained muscle or overworked muscle or stiff muscle that to you or I might say, oh, that's kind of nagging. I'll do a stretch and it go away. To someone with a sensitized system that that little tiny trigger um, might be enough to set off a full blown, oh man, this is really, really bad. Um, so uh, I think there's usually some sort of anatomical thing that's going on. Does it mean something's damaged? Does it mean something's broken? Does it mean that you know, something needs to be fixed? No, but I, I think there's usually a trigger that makes it hurt, say, at the back instead of the knee or the ankle or the hip or the you know, just some little tiny thing that might you know, be registering higher than it should on the, the so to speak, danger alarm. Yeah, no, I think that's... I think that's entirely accurate. <laughs> so what kind of treatments then are you, are you providing to folks? Are you doing a lot of like, um, hands-on manual therapy stuff, or are you kind of doing a whole lot of therapeutic activity or moving people more towards, obviously the goal is self-management, but like when people come in, are we looking at a lot of hands-on up front, kind of tapering off, or is it one of those, yeah, we're kind of see where you are. Maybe we'll start you with some exercises and activity and then kind of move you from there. Uh, self-management and education is throughout that uh, initially I think it's just teaching people uh, giving people a better understanding of what's going on especially when it seems kind of unpredictable or like the pain comes and goes or why has this been going on so long and nobody's been able to figure it out you know, just giving someone some peace of mind that you're not crazy. There is a reason for this and that there is hope to get it better. I think a lot of times um, goes a long way. Um, usually people have a lot of difficulty grasping up front a purely you know, psychosocial you know, you know, causative factor. So initially, uh, probably my treatments do tend more on the bio, unless there is a very, very strong psychosocial that you know, just there's no no like rhyme or reason as far as when I do this, this happens, or when I do this activity, this happens, or, okay, it hurts right, right here in my elbow or right here in my back. It's well, one day it's in my left shoulder. One day it's in my back. Those are the ones that, you know, it, it's more uh, neurophysiological, psychosocial, um, nosoplastic pain mechanisms that, uh, you really need to get into that stuff right away. But yeah. most of the time when it's like, okay, I've got a back pain on my right side. It hurts when I'm standing. It hurts when I'm walking. I sit down, it goes away right away. But every time I stand up for the last 20 years, it hurts me. Um, those people I'll usually start out with a lot more um, just 
self-management things that, okay, if you stand a little bit differently, or if you walk a little bit differently, um, you may be able to take the edge off. And then we can do some hands-on treatments to help get you started, get the pain under control, give you a little bit of quick relief to give you um, some signs that you're actually going to be able to get out of this. And then towards the tail end, it does become more that you know, once you've gotten the, taken the edge off, things are a little bit more manageable. Um, you've got some signs that you are improving. How do we keep you there? How do we get you back to all the things you want to be able to do and keep you being able to do those things over the long term so the pain doesn't come back in the future? Yeah, I find, I find that we're doing a lot of that too. I might introduce something like somatic tracking maybe very lightly at the beginning, but it's like at the right when we're getting ready to discharge or we're kind of wrapping up this plan of care and the individual is getting ready to go off with their home program. Then we're like, okay, this is like going forward. You don't, you know, we're going to reinstitute a lot of this somatic tracking, mindfulness or whatever it is. And uh, really that mind body connection and work so that when they're gone and they have that relapse or that pain coming back, six months down the road, six weeks down the road, they don't want to have a freak out and have a lot of pain, but then they know they have the confidence and the ability to, to manage it. Right. Yeah. And like you said, it's kind of just inserting little bits here and there in the conversation, peppering it in the conversation, getting people a little bit more comfortable talking about that because most people are pretty comfortable saying my back hurts and my ankle hurts. When you start talking about anxiety and depression and yeah. you know, relationships and you know, sometimes abuse in chronic pain cases, those are a little more off limits and it takes a few visits to really build up a rapport with a lot of, a lot of times before people are willing to really be um, fully disclose information about those type of topics. Yeah. I have a feeling some of that might be because of the therapeutic trust, therapeutic rapport, but I, I wonder how much of that too is like mental health and the stigma around it. Like somebody doesn't have a problem saying my back hurts because that's more acceptable, right? Like my back, I have back pain. I have a bad back or whatever, but to say, or even to, to like, not even just to say, but to insinuate that, oh, when my anxiety is elevated, I have increased back pain. Like that's moving people into that world of mental health. And they're like, I'd rather not go, go there. I wonder how much of right. that is denial on their part too. Tell me I have an injury, but don't tell me I'm crazy. Don't tell exactly. me I have a mental health problem, which I mean, we all have mental health problems. <laughs> I don't know that there's one of us that doesn't deal with stress, isn't sometimes depressed over something, doesn't get anxious about something. It's, but is it a state that we can just you know, we have this feeling and we can get over it, or is it more of a trait that we live in from day to day to day? And, you know, that's where it becomes a little more pro of a problem when you're always anxious about something or when you're always depressed about something and you can't find a way out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like go-to resources that you give patients or that you point them to when it comes to the, the psychosocial aspect of pain? Like, do you, are you using, you know, what's that book by Adrian Love or something like that? Something that you're, you're giving this patient or this client to, to kind of reference over the course of time. Like the, the, the why do I hurt one by Adrian Lowe or uh, uh, explain pain by David Butler, those ones. Um, I don't really use any of those to any huge extent um, with patients. It's more just kind of peppering things into the conversation, you know, talking about how your nervous system kind of goes between two states, between sort of a calm, rest, digest after Thanksgiving state and more of a, hey, I got to get out of truck, get out of danger, get away from this angry saber-toothed tiger that maybe 
chasing me um, and helping people learn that, okay, if I spend less time in this fight or flight, um, try to get out of immediate danger and more time in this calm, relaxed, at peace state, generally I feel better. Um, so it's usually more just conversations like that. Um, for people who do have maybe more of a medical background or maybe have more interest in, into getting into some of those, those topics, I'll refer them to, to some of those resources that you mentioned. Yeah, I found the, the same thing. Like I've done it both ways, right? Like I've given patients or clients like a book or a resource for like, read this and then we'll come and talk about it next time. And it seems like the vast majority of them are like, oh yeah, I didn't get around to reading it. Or like, we've got a list of the clinic of books that we've handed out that haven't come back yet. <laughs> um, but what we found to be that most effective is kind of the peppering throughout kind of just like the lived experience, kind of reinforcing it throughout treatment. And then kind of near the end, there is really isn't a reason to hand somebody a big book or even those, those small Adrian Lowe books um, because they've, they've kind of been working it throughout as opposed to just like read this. And, and go on. And I find like, personally, uh, I feel like some of the skill and the, the value that we bring as clinicians is the ability to, even though those books and those references are great, like to really tailor it to that individual situation, right? Yeah, it's a one size fit. You know, it's akin to saying, okay, here's your handout of exercises for an ankle sprain, or here's your handout of exercises for back pain. Um, you know, the exercises you give someone from a physical perspective for one type of back pain may be completely opposite or completely different than the exercises you give someone for a different type of back pain. And you know, I think the quote unquote mental exercises or uh, information that you give someone for one type of you know, nervous system sensitization based on their particular situation and past experiences may be very different from the information that you give a different person with a different history and different past experiences. So I think it's always kind of tapering the care as much as possible to that specific patient, making it most relevant to their experience, their life, the problems that they're going through. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Everything from that, whether you're doing mindfulness or somatic tracking to even just something even simple, like we are trying to tailor everything to that individual. Does, do you find when you're onboarding new clinicians then, like I know you just hired a PT, like how much training and mentoring are you having to do for somebody that may be a new grad or even just somebody that's been in a different realm of, of treatment before they come to your to your clinic like how much of that is we're going to be very hands-on and help you understand this versus like you're going to be good to go <laughs> i i think it's it depends somewhat on their background and now in school they are covering the biopsychosocial model a little bit more so i think you know the newer clinicians coming out of school are a little bit more familiar with that how in-depth they get really probably depends on where they were educated um but I know for myself, when when I was, uh, let's see, graduated in 2008, uh, did a fellowship from 2010 to 2012. So uh, by, by 2012, four years out of school, I, I'd had a board certification, was fellowship trained in manual therapy among like the elite certifications that a PT gets. And then I had this mentor that I got into about four years into school and introduced me into this biopsychosocial world. And despite all of that, you know, like physical, you know, th this is, you know, how you use your hands. This is how you diagnose an ankle sprain. This is how you diagnose a different type of back pain. That just flipped my world upside down. Like, 
oh, you mean the pain's not all in the tissues that the way you yeah. think about it actually affect, like it, it just threw me for a loop and completely trained, changed the way that I practice, um, even having had some really significant high level training. Yeah. It's it, because again, we're not just, we're not just bodies, right? So it is, right. it is incredible. Like I think I've, I used to teach at the university here in Augusta in the OT department. And I was really pushing like this biopsychosocial framework in the adult rehab class. And I think like I've seen it grow because now I'm re removed from the department, but I come back and give guest lectures. And when I mention things like that, the students, they're nodding their heads and they understand. So you can definitely tell like it's permeating into the, into the education system for, for at least the new grads coming through, the new, the new uh, clinicians that are being trained. I think it's just a matter of time until <laughs> it becomes more widely accepted. What do they say? It takes 17 years or something uh, like that. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Evidence-based yeah. practice to become standard practice. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is kind of so, crazy. It is. Yeah. yeah. But hopefully things like this podcast and uh, other information will help disperse the information a, a little bit more quickly. Yeah. Well, we're coming near the top here. So if you had a couple, just like one or two main takeaways, you'd want either a clinician who's getting into treating pain to know or a patient who's experiencing pain to know, what would they be? Well, they're probably the same things from different sides of the coin. Yeah. But you know, for one, if you're a clinician, listen to your patients, no matter how crazy, how weird the symptoms seem, what they're experiencing is real. And the more you can validate that. And even if you don't completely understand it, just because you can't wrap your head around it doesn't mean that it's wrong or that it's made up. Um, and then you know, for a patient who's out there and has been maybe put off by several clinicians before who, or who has told them that I can't help you or that you know, even you're making it up, this isn't real, that there is help out there for you. You just need to keep looking and Find someone who you feel comfortable with, who's going to you know, stick by you and take the time to listen to you to fully understand your problem, not just the physical problem, but all the ways that it's affecting your life. And then it will work with you to help you achieve your goals, whatever those are. Yeah. All right. Well, Dave, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Uh, where can people find out more about you, about your clinic, about your work, all that kind of good stuff? Uh, sure. So probably the best resource is just to check out our website and our blog. Um, it's at M4LPT, as in uh, more, the number four, lifept.com or more for the number four, life.net. Awesome. Cool deal. Well, thanks. Take it easy. All right. You too. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation about treating patients with chronic and persistent musculoskeletal pain. I know I take this for granted often just because I live a lot of, a lot of my professional life is spent discussing about the principles about the, the biopsychosocial approach and implementing biopsychosocial uh, approaches or processes of care in, in patient acquisition systems or patient onboarding systems and how do we orient the process of care to be more person-centered or, or patient-centered rather than um, ad administratively centered or something like that. So I, I take for granted the fact that there are folks out there that really want to learn more about the biopsychosocial approach and are looking for places and resources to do that. Um, 
without sounding too uh, self-promoting here, we did have Bronnie Thompson on the show. She's an occupational therapist out of New Zealand. She's just an amazing uh, clinician. She manages the multidisciplinary um, she's the chair of the multidisciplinary pain management program at, at a university out there in, in New Zealand. You can look that up. We'll put the, the link to that in the show note. She and I had a conversation specifically about what is a biopsychosocial approach, how do biopsychosocial factors uh, address or affect a patient's lived experience with chronic pain and how to overcome it and that kind of stuff. So it's a great, it was a great conversation. Anything that she's written, and I'll link to her her blog on the on the show notes as well. Anything she, that she's written on the topic is also very informative. As well, there's also folks that we mentioned on the on the show, like David Butler, Laura Mosley, Adrian Lowe. All of those folks are researchers and scientists that have published their work, that have created resources for clinicians and patients alike. And anything that they that they've published is is really worth a read just to learn more about understanding biopsychosocial factors that influence patients' lived experience of pain and how we can help them overcome those um, in a way that's that's practical and that doesn't require you know tens of thousands of dollars in equipment and stuff like that. I love when it's a book or when it's a resource, an educational resource that you can just weave into your treatment as opposed to like getting a big piece of equipment or something like that or expensive resource. And if you're looking for some more free resources on the biopsychosocial approach or taking a biopsychosocial approach, we've got a couple uh, free webinars up on the website. One is a video series that is, I think it's three videos long, maybe an hour and a half, two hours worth of content uh, on the biopsychosocial approach, specifically its application to rehabilitation, musculoskeletal rehabilitation. Um, and then we've got one on the biopsychosocial approach and using that to influence the process of care that you set up at your clinic or organization. Both of those are available at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. If you go to the insights page, there's a little drop down on the menu and click the webinars and workshops and you can see the the two the two uh, webinars that we've got specifically on the biopsychosocial approach and how you can implement Um, more of a patient-centered approach in your clinical practice, but also your process of care, orienting all of those administrative functions like scheduling and communication and um, all of that kind of stuff that we kind of think of it as the the important stuff that we need to do on a bureaucratic level or administrative level to get services done. But there's a way in which you can get the information that you need, that administrative information you need to, to verify benefits or eligibility or to process payments or to do the scheduling or reach out for communication. There's ways that you can do it that when you're done completing that process, the prospective patient or the patient that you just gotten off the phone with or just finished a communication with thinks to themselves, wow, this organization really cares about me, the individual, and what is important to me, my goals and my aspirations and my expectations for treatment, as opposed to what they normally receive and what most people normally experience with any kind of healthcare interaction, which is I'm a number on a checklist or they're just trying to get the information that they need to bill my insurance or whatever it happens to be. We want clients and patients that we work with from the first interaction that they ever have with our organization 
to walk away, proverbially walk away. I mean, maybe they're just hanging out of the phone, <laughs> um, but walk away from that interaction with a sense of one hope and validation that they went to the right place, that they sought out the right provider, but then also that that hope that because what they just experienced was so different from what they've what they're normally used to when interacting with healthcare providers, that they they are more trusting of what we've got to say when they actually do show up to those clinics, more likely to buy into a treatment program or to co-create a plan of care with us, one that they're going to follow and adhere to. And hopefully the, the ideal goal is that they're going to experience far greater and better outcomes, hence the name of the show, right? Better outcomes because that therapeutic relationship or the relationship and the trust that they have developed with us or our organization is such that we are able to leverage that relationship on their behalf to improve their overall clinical outcomes and then experience with their care at our organization. So um, that's all I've got this week. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It helps people find the show. Um, if you want to get notified whenever we drop a new episode or release a new episode, you can head on over to www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. Uh, click on the link for podcasts and sign up, or you can go to www.betteroutcomes.show, and that'll take you to the page where you can find all of our previous episodes in the archives. You can find links to all of our guests, social medias, and, and work-related content. Um, and you can sign up to get uh, notified whenever we drop an episode. We drop a new episode usually every other week. Sometimes we'll drop bonus episodes on the off weeks. Um, but we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you be a part of what we're doing here. Um, until the next time, everyone be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.